We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome back to Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty Podcast Network. Great to have you here. Got a great show for you today. Last week, it was a solo show. I got tremendous feedback on that solo show. So um, I will try to do a solo show once a month. I promise you. This week is not. This week, I have a guest, an awesome guest. Uh, We will be talking about Christian persecution. We'll be getting into, and and honestly, I think most people don't understand the degree to which Christians are persecuted. So we'll be talking about, you know, that type of violent persecution that happens in a lot of countries in the Middle East, North Korea, Um, but also talking about sort of the the softer persecution, which we saw, for example, during COVID with the shutting down of of churches and what we see um, in the media and in uh, mainstream culture and the shaming of uh, of Christians for not going along with uh, with the ways of the world. But before we get to that, I want to remind you about masa chips, guys. So if you like tortilla chips, like I do, I love tortilla chips with queso or salsa. The problem is the chips are terrible for you. They're fried in seed oil. Uh, they, which causes inflammation, or they have some. There's some healthier ones that might not have seed oil that tastes like cardboard. Masa chips are a tortilla chip, fried in grass-fed beef tallow. They taste delicious. I just had some the other day. I got another bag. I'll be digging into this weekend as my wife and I indulge on some queso. I can't wait. Please pick up some masa chips. They're going to be a little bit more expensive because if you know anything about economics. If you can't buy something, there's a reason for that. So there's different obstacles in place why these chips haven't been created before. So the founder of Masa Chips, who was on my show a couple weeks ago, Stephen Arena, is overcoming those obstacles. And while he's doing that, he's building this company, making these chips by hand. So they're a little more expensive. There's no competition, a little more expensive. They will come down in price as the company grows, as he opens facilities. Um, go to masachips.com. Promo code LIONS for 10% off. You will not regret it. They are absolutely delicious and amazing. Um, Also, bonus shows. Bonus shows for Finding Freedom. When I have guests on now, I'm going to have a bonus show. Today's episode, I will have about a 15-minute bonus show where actually we'll be talking with my guest today about his Saumonier certification, talking about wines and also talking about um, persecution around Ukraine, um, the Ukraine war, uh, persecution against Russian Orthodox Christians and some different things. So be sure to tune into that. You can join the pride by going to patreon.com slash lions of Liberty and lions of Liberty.locals.com and make it very easy where you can add your bonus lines of Liberty feed to your podcast player. So you'll be able to listen to that episode, that bonus show right after this. And, uh, you're going to love it. So let's get into today's show. Okay, we are live to the Lions of Liberty Pride, and I am joined here today by Dr. Thomas Williams. 
Dr. Williams is an internationally renowned Catholic theologian, speaker, and writer. He's also a certified sommelier, so maybe we'll get to talking about that. Interesting uh, diversity of, of background there. Um, teaches uh, theology at the Rome campus of St. John's University. He's widely known for his on-air commentary and analysis on uh, NBC, CBS, and Sky News in the UK. He's the author of 18 books and over 1,500 articles. Uh, he lives in Rome with his family. His latest book, which is what we're going to be talking about mostly today, it's a hard-hitting book that talks about Christian persecution. It's called The Coming Christian Persecution, and it'll be released, I believe, on March 21st. Dr. Williams, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thank you, John, very much for having me on your show. It's a, it's a privilege. Well, it's a privilege to have you on the show. And uh, maybe before we get into talking about this, really the, the most important topic of our times, really one of them for sure, uh, before we get into that and talking about your book, uh, maybe you could give some background information uh, to my audience here talking about yourself and, and really how you found yourself in this position to be an authority to talk about uh, uh, persecution against Christians. Well, I've been, uh, thanks, John. I've, I've been teaching theology for many years. I, I actually studied, I first studied economics and then I studied philosophy and theology. And that's, I was more in academic life, but almost 10 years ago now, Steve Bannon, who at the time was running Breitbart News, uh, was looking to start uh, a bureau of Breitbart in Rome and another one he wanted in Jerusalem, another one he wanted in Athens, kind of with this idea that politics is, is downstream of culture and these cultural uh, kind of touch points from history, he thought were very important. So he approached me. We had been, we had known each other. I don't, wouldn't say we're close friends. We knew each other for years. And he asked if I might be interested in picking up that and running with it in Rome. And so I did. And so I've been with Breitbart uh, along with my teaching. I, I, I run their Rome Bureau, been doing that since 2014. And one of my, part of my beat is Christian persecution. It's something that I, I follow it in Africa. I follow it in the Middle East. I follow it, it obviously in a very big way during the, the Islamic State crisis, if we could call it that. Um, but it, it's become something that's big, a kind of a fixation with me. I, I, uh, I'm amazed at how prevalent it is, how widespread it is, and how little known it is. And that's really what motivated me to write this book. Yeah, I think what you said last last there is is a really great point. You know, gr living and growing up in the in the United States, we don't hear a lot about Christian persecution. Um, we're, we're lucky to, to to really be in a situation where there's not at least you know violent, overt persecution. Maybe we'll talk a little bit later about the, the, especially with COVID and some things that have happened. I think there has been um, recently some persecution against Christians in the U.S. and, of course, throughout the world um, in, in that same vein. But I think a good place to start is to give my audience an understanding of the amount of persecution that Christians face worldwide. Uh, in your book, you talk about several different countries where really the persecution is is just it's 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 tragic. I mean, it's the, the level of it, as I was reading it, is something that, that I did not understand. Um, if you could talk about, if you want to give some examples from the book of some of those countries, but just worldwide, where are Christians being persecuted the most? Well, I, I think that there are two pieces of data 
that are that are really kind of astounding and they'll give our listeners, our audience, you know, really kind of a perspective on this question. One is the number, the absolute number of Christians who live under regimes where they face serious persecution on a daily basis. That is real fear for their lives, fear of shedding blood. And the number is astonishing. Again, it's 370 million people, more than the population of the United States around the world. Christians find themselves in this situation. And that's something that is to me, anyway, it, it's overwhelming to think of. And the second piece of data is that three quarters, 75 percent of people who are persecuted for religious reasons, for faith reasons around the globe are Christian. So three out of four people who face any kind of persecution because of, of their faith are Christians. Wow. And, and those two things together, I think, give us a sense really of the of the depth of this problem and, and how pervasive it is around the world, just just the sheer numbers. And obviously the numbers don't tell the whole story, but it does give us pause, I think, to realize just how big the problem is. And, uh, you know, some of these countries where Christians are you know, being persecuted, persecuted to the point that they're fearful for their lives, North Korea, Afghanistan, Syria, Nigeria, um, it's it's interesting, you know. A, a few of these countries are areas where the U.S. military has been in there um, pretty recently. You know, within the last 10, 15 years, and it seems to me that sort of after after leaving after the the intervention, especially if you look at like a place like Iraq or Afghanistan, the persecution has uh, has gotten worse. Um, so, can, can you talk? Can you talk about that aspect of it a little bit? Well, that's a, a really fascinating point, John. Um, it, it's true. What you say is absolutely true. And in part, that's because, especially in these countries in the Middle East that are, um, several of them are actually still Islamic republics, uh, but they didn't have that level of persecution really prior to uh, intervention from the U.S. And I think that for a lot of Muslims, especially in the Middle East, uh, there's a real association of Christianity with the West. And in this case, Christianity with the U.S. And I think that that some of that persecution is uh, really anger and hatred for the West and for the U.S., not only for Christianity as a religion. I think the two often are mixed together. Hmm. Yeah, th- that is interesting, and that that would that would be my guess at uh at, at least at least part of the reason why. Um, so let's dig into you know really what we mean by persecution. Because you know it, it comes in it comes in different stripes, right? I mean, there's the the full extent where you know someone is killed and they're they're become a martyr. Um, but but what are the different ways that that Christians are? Some of the different ways. There's probably too many to name here that, that Christians are persecuted. That's another good question because persecution. I mean, the word itself it it speaks of violence. It speaks of something that is that is aggressive, that is harmful to one's skin, right? Um, but traditionally speaking, uh, for Christians, there's always a distinction made between red martyrdom and white martyrdom. Uh, this, this understanding that martyrdom in its truest, uh, starkest form is shedding one's blood. The word martyr means witness, and it means witnessing to Jesus up to the point of giving one's life, shedding one's blood. That is kind of the classic 
martyrdom. And, and we still have lots and lots of that today in, in some of those countries you just mentioned. I'm thinking of Nigeria, number one, because it's the, the number one place to die for a Christian today in terms of sheer numbers of those who are killed uh, for being Christian. Uh, but the white martyrdom extends far beyond this. There's a lot of of hostility, which sometimes is discrimination, sometimes is loss of job or simply not being considered for a job, uh, being a second-class citizen, uh, sometimes not having the right to vote, uh, sometimes ostracization in other ways. We find this even in the West in the, in the sense that even in, in countries like our own, like the United States, that was founded by Christians on Christian principles, today to be a Christian overtly uh, often raises eyebrows and people look with suspicion and Christians who take their faith seriously are, are often now uh, called bigots. They're called closed-minded. They are called uh, not up-to-date with modernity. There's a lot of ways kind of getting at them. But I could give so many examples. I'll just take mm -hmm. one example. A couple of years ago when Amy Coney Barrett, uh, she's now obviously on the Supreme Court as a justice, but when she was first named to be a district court uh, judge, um, the the grilling that she was given by the Senate Judiciary Committee was appalling. And, and it was all based on her faith. And mm -hmm. the two figures that kind of stood out in that period were Dianne Feinstein on the one hand. She's the one who famously said, well, listening to you, I, I, I get a sense that the dogma lives loudly in you. And this understanding that if you take your faith very seriously, you might not be uh, qualified to have a, a role in public life because that in some way biases you or renders you uh, unable to, to give an impartial judgment. And the other, strangely enough, was Dick Durbin, who himself claims to be Catholic, although he's the sort of Catholic that the seculars have no problem with because he basically, mm -hmm. his beliefs mirror those of secular society, that there's no real difference there. Um, and it reminds me a little bit when I saw how vicious he became, uh, something St. Paul said a couple millennia ago when he, when he talks about all the, the dangers that he faced as a Christian, as an apostle, and he mentioned that of false brethren, those who claim to be of the same tribe, if you will, of the same belief system, but those who are sometimes the most vicious of all. Yeah, I mean, an example of that would be our the current president here in the United States. You know, some someone who and I, I'm I'm not a Catholic. I'm 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 a Christian, but not a Catholic. Yeah. But Joe Biden, you know, claims to be a Catholic, and uh, yeah, he he goes along with uh, you know a lot of the things of, of the world. Uh, abortion is is one that comes to mind right now. So yeah, there's there's yeah, a lot of that. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a really scandalous situation. We we had until recently, obviously, with Nancy Pelosi as, as speaker and Joe Biden as president, both claiming to be Catholic and yet both actively uh, promoting abortion and actively uh, the questions, obviously, on marriage and and, uh, and homosexual marriage, which is something that by and large Orthodox Christians don't accept, but they you know, Joe Biden has officiated on in gay marriage, despite the fact that his church does not does not believe in it. Um, yeah, there are a lot of these questions, and, and he's a huge pusher of the transgender uh, thing, even for little children. He's uh, he's really on the forefront of that campaign as well. So yeah, there are plenty of ways where people can claim to be Christian or Catholic or whatever denomination it might be, and yet hold completely opposing views. Yeah, and, I, and that and that type of. Um, so speaking of the the transgenderism, um, the push by the push to promote the LGBTQ plus community 
Um, and if you don't promote it, then you're, you're, you're hateful. Then you're a terrible person. I, there was recently a story, uh, I think it was a Philadelphia NHL hockey player who, uh, a, a Russian Orthodox who said that he, he didn't want to wear a, uh, a pregame warm up jersey that promoted, uh, you know, Pride Week or w- whatever it was at the time. I can't remember. Um, and yeah, because of that, he was he was called a bigot. There were there were mainstream uh, political figures in the U.S. On, on cable news, and I believe politicians who basically said, "Well, maybe you should go, um, you know, back to Russia and, and fight in the war there." It's like what? Like pretty pretty well, crazy times yeah. we live in to have some. Yeah, we, we've come we've come a long way, and and now to be a Christian again, especially if you take. Christian moral teaching, biblical moral teaching in any way, seriously, you are, you are on the chopping block and you will be called names like that. And you, and, mm-hmm. and especially from certain of these lobbies, um, look what happened. Another case that I would call persecution is something just happened this week with, uh, it's Walgreens in California. They had a 50 some million dollar contract with the state of California. And because they have decided not to sell the, uh, the abortion pill online, uh, they have been, they've canceled that contract, the state of California. Oh, wow. And this is because they, they will not go along fully with the, wow. the agenda of the, the abortion lobby. And, uh, so it's, it's very serious. And that's a huge loss of money. That's a form of persecution if you are, you know, cut out of deals because of your beliefs. Yeah, and I hadn't heard of that. Um, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because I have other questions I want to get to. But um, just to kind of keep going along this track, I want to get your thoughts on this. So um, the, the way we're moving as a uh, as an economy, and you, you have a background um, in, in economics, so this will be interesting to get your opinion. Um, one one um, thing that will be coming, it will be coming in the future in some way. We have it right now with digital currency, with Bitcoin and all these different digital currencies and a um, central bank digital currencies. There's some being tested um, around the world. What, what are your thoughts on a, a central bank digital currency, a, a CBDC, as it's called, being used as a way to um, not only to, to, you know, to control people's actions, but to control our faith, to, to control um, you know, how, how we're permitted to think. And if we don't, for example, like with that Walgreens example, if, if, if you, if, uh, if they didn't put the, the morning after pill online, they lost the business. Um, if we don't, you know, contribute to a certain cause, then our, our money's no good. They can turn it off. Yeah, I, I, I am, I am terrifically frightened by this whole concept and how hard it's being pushed by people who do not have people's freedom at heart. They do not want that. What they want is control. And, and if you wonder where it's going, it's, it's enough just to look at countries where it is being actively used to persecute people for their faith. Take a very simple example, that of China, which has a very highly developed surveillance state, so much so that it's in people's homes, it's in churches, they monitor what is preached. And if it does not go along with the Marxist agenda of the, uh, the, the Communist Party, you will be shut down. You are no longer allowed to carry on your your evangelical uh, mm-hmm. activities because you are not a friend of the state at that point. And they use this without any qualms. They, they don't apologize for it. They don't say we're only doing this because whatever. They just do it because they say we are the state and we will know what's going on and we will make sure that everything conforms with our ideology. Yeah, it's it's certainly it's it seems like we're in accelerated times here. Um, 
with the amount of persecution that is happening. But it's, you know, Jesus obviously was persecuted. He, he was, he was killed. Um, and Jesus told us that, that, you know, his, his followers, followers would continue to be persecuted. So this is, this is something that, that we should, we should expect, right? So can you talk a little bit about that? And should we, should we almost, I don't want to say embrace persecution. Maybe we should, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, there is that, that great line of the Acts of the Apostles where uh, after they were beaten, the apostles went home rejoicing because they had been found worthy to suffer for the name. That's the, the line that's used in the Acts. Um, so I think there is certainly a precedent for believing that, yeah, we should take it as a badge of honor when we some, uh, suffer something for Christ. And, and I think that if we don't suffer anything, we have to maybe check and see if we're really living our faith seriously, because it seems to me that, especially in this day and age, if you take your faith seriously, you're going to get a lot of pushback and it's going to hurt. It's going to be something that that is going to be very unpleasant. It might just be ridicule, it might be ostracization, but it could be worse than that as well. And I think that this is the reality. You know, if Jesus didn't repeat it so many times, you know, and, and I obviously exemplifying it, as you said, with his own life, but he just over and over again saying, this is what you're going to have. Pick up your cross every day and follow me. This is what's going to happen. If they hated me, they're going to hate you too. You know, if they, mm -hmm. you're not of the world, I, my choice withdrew you from the world. All these different things he says to them, warning them. And I think kind of also emboldening them in a way, because then when it comes, it's not a surprise. It's not like, did I do something wrong? It's, oh, I'm doing things right. That's why it's happening. Because I'm recognized as someone who is like Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, and so that's why I'm being that why I'm being attacked. And I think that that does give us hope, and it gives us courage. And courage is the virtue that we need so desperately in this day and age to really be able to stand up for the truth. And in how we behave in the face of that persecution, you know, that can be that can be a catalyst to to grow the faith, to to grow faith in others, right? Oh, 100%. And uh, it, it was said in the earliest centuries that that the blood of martyrs was a seed of Christians, that this is something that that inspires admiration. It inspires emulation, people who want to find out what it is that's worth suffering for, that's worth dying for. And many Christians came over to the faith in those early centuries because of the witness of, of Christians under persecution that did not answer hate with hate, but answered hate with love and with prayers for persecutors, as Jesus asked, that were courageous in facing death, that did not back down from uh, their beliefs and, and outwardly professing their beliefs, despite the fact that they would have to suffer. And that obviously that faith in eternal life, that this life in the end is very short and, and, and leads somewhere else, you know, that's it's very compelling when people are willing uh, to put all that on the line. When it comes to to religious persecution as a whole, so if you talk about you know anti-Semitism and uh, Islamophobia, where where would you say? And I, I don't know if there's you know exact numbers on this, but um, you you said earlier that the Christians are persecuted more so. So in perspective, how much more is there are Christians persecuted than um, than uh, Jewish people and and uh, and Muslims? Well, um, in the case of, of the Jews, we have to be careful because I think they're very persecuted, but their numbers are significantly smaller than those of Christians and Muslims. So I think that probably as a proportion 
of their numbers, it could even be higher. I, I honestly do not know the answer to that. I only know the absolute figure, which is of those who suffer active persecution in the world, three quarters of them are Christians. So in, in terms of, of just raw numbers of, of who is being persecuted for their faith, Christians are three out of four. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that that is, is something very, very serious. And, you know, it's interesting, too, as you were mentioning, when we talk about religious persecution more generally, um, Christians are not given a pass. It's a very strange thing. Um, Wikipedia, believe it or not, has an entire entry on something called Christian persecution complex. And they talk about how Christians imagine themselves to be persecuted. And I, when I first saw this, I was really taken aback because I thought to myself, can you imagine if somebody tried to put an entry on Wikipedia of, you know, Jewish, uh, Jewish persecution mm -hmm. complex or Islamic persecution complex? You'd be like, that is so wrong. You can't do that. This is real. You can't, you know, act as if this is just a complex. But in the case of Christians, oh yeah, why? They're just, they're just whining. They're just, you know, they, they should shut up and take it. And, uh, and it, it's, it's strange. There's a real denial, I think, also of the reality of Christian persecution, especially in some of these nations where it is, is it bloody, but also a growing level in the, in the West itself. Well, I, there's, there's this, uh, this narrative out there that, that Christians have been, you know, sort of in, enforcing their worldview on others for, for centuries. Right. Um, so, so Maybe maybe they think the pushback is justified. Well, I know they say that, um, but you know what's funny is the legacy of that Christian imprint on culture is things like the dignity of the human person, equality, human rights, uh, an understanding of people, this fraternity, brotherhood, solidarity. These are all Christian principles. If, just take one, the principle of, of equality, human equality. That did not exist in the ancient world in any culture. And even today, if you look at cultures that do not, are not based on a, on a Christian um, grounding, uh, many of them do not recognize this basic idea of, of equal, human equality, one being equal to another, men, women, each of, of equal, infinite value. It's really a, a Christian concept. Mm -hmm. um, even the, the fraternité, égalité um, of the, of the uh, French Revolution, even though it was used against uh, the church in particular, um, those were Christian concepts. The reason that we have that in the West is because the West was Christendom and, the, and those things. So, you know, those who say, well, you've been pushing us around for so long. If you actually look what Christians have given to the world in terms of a worldview, you're going to find that some of the things we, we treasure the most are part of that legacy. Yeah. So, so to dig in there a little bit, so talking about Equality, and I think a specific example, um, talking about countries, would be in India, right, where there's a lot of persecution against Christians. I, pretty much all Indians are, are Hindus, I think, and there is a you know a caste system in India, so people are not um, seen as being as being equal. So is is that one of the reasons why there is that persecution against? Um, Christianity against Christians because that would threaten the very structure of their society. Absolutely, that that's been said overtly. This idea that that a Brahmin and a and a, and a pariah, that these are equally loved by God and that they are in, in God's eyes completely the same, and and this sense that we are all brothers and that no one is naturally superior or inferior to anyone else. 
you know, flies in the face of the caste system, which is a big part of of that Hindu Indian culture. And yes, it is something that that is resisted because it is looked upon as a threat to this very understanding of of society as based on castes. And uh, this is something that existed in ancient Rome as well, when Christianity was just a budding religion, the sense that, you know, the servants and the masters are the same in terms of their value, that there was this fundamental equality. That was something that was completely, it was foreign even to the most enlightened society of the West, which was the Greek society. Uh, the Greeks, obviously, they too didn't believe in, in perfect human equality. They believed that free men were one at one level, and then you had slaves, you had women, you had children, all of whom were at an inferior level. They, they did not understand uh, people to be equal. And in fact, they invented democracy, but only, the only ones who could vote were free men. This was the democracy was of that portion of humanity that was considered uh, to be worthy of, of running the nation. So j- just to talk about, uh, you know, your new book as a whole, um, you said you, you've been following Christian persecution for a while now. Um, what motivated you to write this book at this time now? Well, it just seems to be coming to a head, honestly. Uh, you, you mentioned a few recent things, but it's just, it's every week in the papers. The, uh, mm-hmm. um, the FBI attacks on, you saw this with the Latin mass groups and, and considering them to be especially dangerous. The attacks on, on those who uh, oppose abortion and peacefully, truly peacefully pray outside abortion clinics. They have been, they have been, you know, hunted down as well. And this has been something that just, it's, it's so relevant right now. And, uh, and also it, it was very disturbing to me, uh, becoming more and more aware of how the mainstream media really silences this topic. There, there, there is no, there is no, uh, coverage of of the reality of Christian persecution in the world. I'll give you just one example of this, but it's really telling. So in in March 2019, you may remember there was a a horrendous case of a man in Christchurch down in New Zealand who went into two different mosques and shot them up and he killed about 50 Muslims. And this was, it was a horrific thing. And it was on the front page of every newspaper. It was on it was the first story covered ABC, NBC, CBS, all the CNN, all the major news, Fox, of course. Um, but what we don't know is that that very week that this happened, 120 Christians were killed in Nigeria during that week. It did not make a single major news outlet in the United States, not one. And this was more than double the number. Uh, but the fact that there were Christians, the fact that I don't know. Maybe the fact that they were they were Nigerians, Africans, they do that to each other. Whatever it might be, it's bad. Whatever whatever reason you want to give for it, it's not going to be a good reason. Uh, there's nothing to justify the fact that we don't cover something as horrendous as that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have given front page coverage to what happened in New Zealand. We should, but the other deserves that coverage as well. What, why do you think? And this is this is speculative, but why do you think the coverage is not equal? Why do you think the coverage is not given to Christian persecution? Well, I think the most insidious reason, and I believe that this really does exist. I think in the eyes of many, I think in the the very secular left uh, in the United States and in the West in general, don't look upon Christians and especially serious Christians as friends right now. They look upon Christians as as an obstacle to what their uh, agenda is for society. And I think that 
They don't want to show Christians suffering in the world. They don't want to show Christians being heroic in any way or being or, or invoke pity on Christians. And I think that that is part of the reason. Um, I think that another part of the reason is, again, Africa, people, th- this is true racism, a, a much deeper racism than, than what people talk about in the United States. You know, but people look on Africa and they say, well, you know, Africans, they're, they're backward. They're just going to do this to each other. That's not really that much news because it's, it's so third world that this sort of atrocity happens on a regular basis. We just can't cover all that. Um, so I think those are maybe a couple of the reasons. And a, a, a third one would simply be the volume. If you started covering actually how many Christians are killed for their faith in some of these countries, it would be a story every single day. It would. And, it, it, and at some point it would cease to be news because it's just so prevalent. But that that in itself is is scary. And that in itself, the fact that we're not aware of that and no one's talking about it, I think, really highlights the the depth of the problem. Well, it it certainly does. And you know, how how important important is it? And I mean it's 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 very important. It's kind of a rhetorical question, but how how important is it that Christians in the US or you could you could talk about really any Western country are aware of this persecution? I mean, I can speak from my perspective, you know, learning about it, reading, reading your book. I mean, it really changes your perspective. First of all, there's, you know, there's, there's, you know, gratitude for being able to not have that level of, you know, a threat against, you know, my life for going to church. But I mean, it, it really also exemplifies the faith. Like we were talking about earlier, that there are so many Christians out there who are willing to risk their life in order to practice their faith. Well, I, I think that that is so true. And I think that we in the West, where the persecution is softer, if you will, um, I think something that ties into your primary theme in Lions of Liberty is this question of freedom and particular religious freedom. And I think that, you know, one of the main freedoms we need to really stand up for in our own country and in the rest of the world is religious freedom. I mean, the fact that now you're being questioned because of your religious beliefs. I mean, the United States was founded on religious liberty. These were pilgrims who left their countries because they were being persecuted. They weren't able to practice their faith freely. They went to the United States specifically to found a nation, to found a, a, a well, at the beginning as colonists, where they could practice their, free, uh, their faith without fear. And, and the fact that we're moving further and further away from that, or that we don't recognize the special aspect, I think, of religious freedom as it's enshrined in our First Amendment, I think that's something that, that we need to keep a, a, a spotlight on as well. This is something that we can't afford to lose this. It's too central to who we are as a people. And I think it's also something that, that we are a light to the rest of the world by really valuing religious freedom the way we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And it's interesting to see, you know, even in the past, you know, two or three years, you, you can you can hear the change, you can sense the change um, coming from our media, our politicians in the US, where, you know, essentially what they're communicating is it's 2023, you know, using using this old book um, in our modern day, we, we've evolved past that, you know, some of these things like uh, transgenderism, and uh Abortion, a women's right to choose—they're just not compatible with, uh, with with this old religious text. So we have to get rid of it. That, that's kind of that's kind of what I see, at least. So as Christians, 
in your opinion, how do you think we can push back against that? What's the best way? Well, I, I think the best way is really to say, look, this is the way that much of the world has believed for millennia. This, this is something that in the case of, let's just take gay marriage, which is completely legal, legal in the United States. But up until 2015, up until Obergefell, there was still a majority of citizens who didn't think it was right, who didn't believe that that was marriage. And now the majority has switched in part because it's now the law and, and Americans believe that the law also helps inform their own, their own worldview. But the fact is, this is very recent, this change of, of viewpoint. Uh, the, the transgender, transgenderism question is, is absurd on the face of it because, you know, again, you don't need to go back very, very many years before nobody in the United States would have said that a man is a woman just because he thinks he is that, that you can, or that you can become a woman by an operation or by drugs or by hormones. You, you cannot, and people would have understood this intuitively. The problem is, as you were saying before, the, the, the rate of change is accelerating so quickly that people are embracing now ideas that would have been considered absurd 10 or 15 years ago. And Christianity is really kind of the backbone of that. And I, I think also, you know, we need, again, to defend religious freedom, religious liberty, but we also need to really shore up our own defenses, if you will. I think the rise of the nuns, the, the N-O-N-E-S, those of no particular faith, which is, again, rising very, very quickly in the United States, is a very worrisome phenomenon. I think it's one because people are afraid uh, to just be f free about their faith, about who they are, and to come forth and say, this is very important in my worldview, and this helps me to understand you know, the relationship between people, the way society should be run, the relationship between government and the people. These things are all informed by my Christian worldview. And it's important and it is it is worthwhile and is worthy to be to be respected. And I think we have to demand that respect. Uh, we're not always going to get it. But I think the same way we should demand it for other people of, of conflicting views that don't agree with us, we should also demand it for Christians. Okay, so I got one more question, and then we'll get to the to the bonus show. And this is a question I, I typically ask all of my guests who have written a book. This question, um, because you know, I, I did get to leaf through and, and read the book uh, quickly, different parts of it. But obviously, I, I didn't I didn't get you know to to read through everything. I just don't I don't have enough time. So there's probably something I missed. Something that. There's probably a lot that I missed, but if you could pick one thing that I missed that you were hoping that I asked you about or something you really wanted to talk about, uh, something that was, you know, is a really powerful part of the book. Um, if, if you could just share that with my audience. Um, that would sure, be sure. All right, John, I, I think probably kind of the nub of the book, and we didn't really get to this completely. Why is there a coming Christian persecution? We talked a little bit about why there is persecution right now and what it looks like, but why are things getting worse? The subtitle of the book is why things are getting worse and, and how you can be ready for, you know, getting ready for what is to come. And the reason is twofold uh, that, that things are getting worse, truly getting worse. The first is that the drivers of Christian persecution are strengthening. In other words, radical Islam, atheistic communism, Hindu nationalism, radical secularism, the different uh, drivers where we see people really suffering because of their faith, this is what is pushing it. And the second is that traditional bastions of defense of, of Christians and, and of religious freedom itself have weakened and are progressively weakening. 
we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about the United States, but we could look further afield in Europe. You look at uh, Great Britain, you look at France, you look at some of these other countries where there's no sense of any real defense of Christians. The only country I can think of that is actively cares about persecuted Christians is Hungary. Hungary actually has a ministry for persecuted Christians and they go and they, and they do great good around the world, uh, taking care of those who have lost jobs, who have had their you know houses burned, their schools burned, whatever it might be. And they rebuild things and they do a lot of this work, but otherwise it's pretty absent. So I, I think that, you know, that's the kind of scary part of, of the situation is that, there is no sign that things are getting better. There is a sign that things will get worse before they do get better. And that means we have to be ready. Absolutely. We have to be ready. And it's been interesting to see, at least from in my own anecdotal experience, and also with me personally, um, in the past few years with this this push that we've seen, this acceleration, um, I, I've been drawn you know, more to Christ. And uh, I've seen you know, others who previously might have been atheist or might have been agnostic, drawn towards faith. So, I I, I mean, I don't think we have data on this yet, but it'll be interesting to see over the next few years um, what that data is. Because, you know, as you said earlier, it was really trending down. We were getting more people who, you know, didn't have a, were not affiliated with uh, Christianity. I forget the the acronym you used. Um, But it seems like that might be turning back a a little bit. Do, Do you agree with that? Well, what, one thing I think is certain is that there are, are people who are really taking their faith very seriously. I don't know about absolute numbers. What I do know is people are rediscovering the value of their faith. Those who are sticking with it, those who are not leaving, I think are, are really finding their strength there. Because with the world in such flux and with things, it seems like there's nothing stable, that there's nothing solid. Faith really gives us that it gives us a foundation it gives us a grounding it gives us a way to understand things including mm-hmm. our own suffering including the the difficult things of our own lives it's faith alone in many cases that really you know shine, shines a light on that and allows us to understand its deeper meaning so i i do see that that for those you know who, who are practicing their faith who, who have some belief that there is a real strengthening of that Absolutely. So I, I I said one more question, but I asked you two more, but oh well. We'll go to the bonus show and I'll ask a, a few more after that. But before we get to the bonus show, um, let people know where they can find the book, when it comes out, and anything else about you, social media, follow, or other websites that you, that you want to plug. Thank you, uh, John, of course. Um, so the book is called The Coming Christian Persecution. My name is Thomas D. Williams. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, of course. It's published by Sophia Institute Press. They have it on their website as well. Um, I have a website, which is thomasdwilliams.com, which has this book and other books that I've written as well. And on social media, um, really, I, I'm, I'm not as up to date as I should be. I'm still an old Twitter guy. So it's at TD Williams Rome. All right, Thomas, Dr. Thomas D. Williams, thank you for coming on Finding Freedom. It has been a real pleasure. All right, hope you enjoyed that interview today with Dr. Thomas Williams. There is the bonus show, of course, after this. So the conversation continued. Go to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. Go to lionsofliberty.locals.com to join the pride for as little as $5 a month to get access to our bonus um, episodes that we have here on Finding Freedom. Also, this show was recorded live. You could have watched it live. 
and you could have commented and uh, maybe provided a question I could have asked if you wanted to. So get in the pride. And uh, yeah, there's a bunch of other perks too. So you can read about that on the website. Not going to repeat them here. But thank you all for listening. I really did enjoy today's episode. And like I said at the top of the show, I really enjoyed doing that solo show two weeks ago. Really got a lot of stuff off my chest. And uh, I plan to do more of that. And I do appreciate all of you who reached out with the kind words about the uh, about the bonus show. I would just encourage you, if you do enjoy this show, um, one way I do I do like emails and messages on you know Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Um, about the show with ideas and things like that. But one thing you can really do to help the show is go to our uh, Apple podcast feed um, and give us a five-star rating and leave a nice little review. That helps tremendously. So please do that. And if you do, maybe I will read it on the show. Um, That's all I got for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you all next week. Everyone have an awesome week, a safe week. Um, hopefully the weather's warming up where you are. It's not, it's not where I am here, Western Pennsylvania, but soon spring is on the way. Baseball season's on the way. Good things are on the way. Keep up the good fight and always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning. <laughs>